0: So this morning as we're starting our fifth on the basics for Christians, we're looking at scripture we're going to look spend a little bit of time on just uh, kind of the doctrine of scripture and then we'll kind of look at the um, look at the importance of studying and applying scripture in our lives first as we open up here just something to to spark our interest. A television program preceding the 1988 Winter Olympics featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Impossible as that sounds. Paired with sighted skiers, the blind skiers were taught on on the flats how to make right and left turns. When that was mastered, they were taken to the slalom slope where their sighted partners skied beside them, shouting left and right. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line, depending solely on the sighted skier's word. It was either complete trust or catastrophe. What a vivid picture of the Christian life. In this world, we are in reality Blind about what course to take and we rely solely on the word of the only one who is truly sighted, God himself. His word gives us the direction we need to finish the course. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at basics, important items for the, for the Christian. We started with salvation. We looked at baptism and communion. We looked at church membership, but vital to the Christian life is scripture. So the big idea we have here today is that the Bible is God's inspired word. It is sufficient as our guide for life, and we should read and obey it. The Bible is God's inspired word. It is sufficient as our guide for our life and we should read and obey it. So on your outline there, the first point is gonna be inspiration. And we're gonna start by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Now, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time going through inspiration. I'm gonna hit uh, some major items here. But, we're, but, we, but we see scripture as the inspired word of God. Now, Second Peter 1, 20, and twenty one are uh, uh, important passages in understanding the inspiration of Scripture. We read these words. Uh, we read here: For if one getting the right chapter, here we are. knowing that first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Then no prophecy of Scripture is in any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Yes, humans penned penned Scripture Penned the, penned the Bible, put pen to ink, ink uh, and and pen to paper, but it is God's word. And it wasn't their own writing or imagination. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were led by the Holy Spirit. Now we refer to the word as being inspired. We gather this from Another important passage in discussing the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for a proof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness. Now, I read a, a, a uh, uh, current, com- uh, more updated translation where it reads out is breathed out. King James, the new King James, is going to read inspired. The word, this is the only time in the New Testament it's used, but breathed out is the more literal translation. It is the idea that God literally breathed the word into existence. So inspired is that The Bible is inspired, the word is inspired because God breathed out the word. But as we saw, as we see, and have evidence, he used people to write it. Second Peter tells us that men were moved. We an important distinction here that we need to understand. It wasn't the men that were inspired to write. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They were moved. And we've mentioned this before. That word "moved" there in Second Peter twenty one one twenty one is there, or as they were carried along. Sorry, not moved. They were carried along. That idea is of a wind driving a ship, pushing a ship. It's the same word used uh, back in Acts twenty seven with the ship that Paul is on that is getting pushed off course because of the storm. Okay. Men were, in essence, God's instruments to record His word with paper and pen. Now, if you were with us a few Wednesday nights ago when we kind of did similar study here, I'm borrowing an illustration from here, from there. Now, their illustration is primarily with a trombone, but I think this applies to any brass or woodwind instrument. Think of it this way. When a musician plays a trombone, he blows air through it. The trombone or the instrument affects the sound, making it different, making a trombone different sounding than a trumpet or tuba or clarinet or flute, right? The trombone or the instrument isn't credited with creating the music. The talent and creativity belongs to the musician. The music is essentially... His audiences applaud the musicians, not the instruments. The musician breathes through his instrument to create his music. And in a similar fashion, God breathed through holy men who wrote the word. They were his instruments by which he used to accomplish his purpose. The Bible is more than words of men. We saw that it is not of the interpretation of any one man. Not of the will of man. It is the word of God. Humans, the the, the men who penned it, were instruments that God used. Now, this doesn't mean that he took control of them and they were just robots writing. They wrote with their own personality, with their own style, with their own purposes. We see this in scripture. Matthew writes different than Mark. Peter and Paul write different. Luke writes different. There are differences. He used the the, the human agents with their own personalities, styles, and purposes to further his purpose and to accomplish his purpose in recording his word. Now, we also see that since scripture is inspired, we also hold that it is without error. We call it inerrant. It is without error. Well, why do we say that it is without error? Well, if it's God's word, that establishes some of it. Why? Because we understand God is true. Titus one twenty says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. God who never lies. God is truth. He is truthful. Therefore God's word is truth. John 17:17 17, 17 says sanctify them in thy truth, your word is truth. Because God is true, his word is true. Therefore God's word is reliable. In John 35, John 10 verse 35, the second part of that verse Christ tells us that scripture cannot be broken it is reliable. And further from that we even find in Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 where Christ speaking again he tells us that scripture is all of scripture is important and it will be fulfilled. Matthew 5:18 For assuredly I say to you till heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The slightest pen stroke is important. It's like saying the it's it's important, the details of the word are important. It's like saying the we're making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, right? You leave off, you don't cross a T, it looks like an L, right? That change that'll change a word. It'll either be a known it'll be a nonsense word or it'll be a completely different word. What Christ was saying here, he was teaching that all the important aspects of the of Bi- he was teaching on the important aspects of Bible's inspiration. What we see as what we call the verbal and plenary inspiration. The verbal inspiration, this means that the very words that are recorded are inspired. God, that they were God-breathed. This is the verbal inspiration. The very words in scripture are inspired by God, breathed out by God. But we also see there that all of the Bible, the entirety of the Bible is inspired or God-breathed. This is Plenary inspiration or full inspiration. Peter refers to uh, Paul's writings in a way that that indicates that he sees it as scripture. Paul and Luke both refer back to Old Testament passages. Paul might even be in, in, in First Timothy may even be referring back to Luke's gospel. Or at the very least, Luke and Paul are, are quoting the same passage. Because in Luke, Luke records Jesus quoting this passage, which Paul then quotes as Jesus saying, quoting the passage. So scripture is showing that scripture is inspired. So we understand, we, we need to understand that, that the Bible is not just some uh, um, ancient documents that men over years have put together and have, have kind of cobbled together. That what, is that what we have? No, scripture is inspired and God has worked in such a way that we have good, accurate translations of the original writings that we have. When you hold up your Bible, you have the word of God in your hand. So the word of God is inspired. The Bible is inspired. It comes from God himself. Secondly, we see that scripture is sufficient. Sufficient. I'm going to start in 2 Timothy 3 here. Scripture is sufficient. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I referenced one of these verses earlier. We read, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that the Bible is, not only is it inspired, that it's God to breathe, but that it is profitable. Well, how is it profitable? Paul actually lists four ways right there in the verse of how scripture is profitable to us. He says, we see it; it's profitable to us for teaching. The Bible teaches us what is right. Now, some will argue, yeah, but you say this isn't right, but the Bible talks about it. We need to understand that not everything the Bible describes, the Bible prescribes. Just because the Bible describes something, talks about something, doesn't mean it's showing it in a good light. Some will argue that polygamy should be fine because David had multiple wives, Solomon had multiple wives, Jacob had multiple wives. Just because the Bible is describing it doesn't mean it's what God approved. One of my professors said this when I was taking a class on Genesis. Every time we see a deviation of the family unit of more than one man, one woman for life, there is problems in the home. There was problems in Isaac's home. Not necessarily because there was multiple... uh, wives but there was problems in Jacob's home because there was David got himself in serious trouble Solomon's world was upside down and Israel broke apart the kingdom of Israel broke into two following Solomon so one so the bible is teaching us what is Right now, it may show us something that is wrong, but those are usually there for examples. First Corinthians, First Corinthians says this: we look back, we have what is written about those of the fathers of the of Israel of what happened in the past as an example of both right and wrong. Now, Paul tells us here that it, the Scripture is profitable; it teaches us what is right, but it's also Profitable for reproof. The Bible exposes our sin and our sinfulness. Reproof is, it's, is profitable for us in what isn't right. We're doing something wrong. It exposes our sin and our sinfulness. It's a reproof. It's a rebuke. It's saying, hey, this is wrong. But we follow up with it is profitable for correction. This is how to get right. Here's what's right. You're doing something over here. This is how you get back. The Bible sets us right through correction. It's also profitable for training. Okay, here's what's right. You've done something wrong. Here's how you get back. And now it's training. How do you stay here? How do you stay right? The Bible trains us and brings us to spiritual maturity. So the Bible teaches us about God, salvation, and a growing spiritual life. It is profitable to us in our spiritual lives. First, it teaches us to know God, to know Christ. We need to go to scripture. We know God and we know Christ in a in a very personal way, through Scripture first. Jesus said in in John 5, 39, that the Scriptures testify about Jesus. So to know Jesus, to know God intimately, we must study Scripture. In Scripture, we see Jesus displayed and we see the Father glorified. The Bible teaches us about salvation. Staying in 2 Timothy 3, we can back up one verse to verse 15. Paul writing to Timothy says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Scripture teaches us about salvation. It gives us knowledge or wisdom concerning salvation by Jesus Christ through faith on him. Romans 10:17 says that by faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. It teaches us we don't learn about faith on Christ without scripture. It is hearing God's word that the Holy Spirit uses to bring someone to saving faith. That we come into salvation and that we get our lives right with God. So the Bible teaches us about God. It teaches us about salvation. The Bible helps us to grow spiritually and to live godly lives. It helps us to grow spiritually and to live Godly lives. Believers need the Word as much as we need food for our bodies. First Peter two, two tells us to long for the Word like the to long for the pure milk of the Word like a newborn. Most of us are parents here. How often do new, newborns feed? All the time. <laughs> Now, do babies only have milk? No, if they are growing properly, if they're going to grow properly, they need to come off of milk and onto solid food, right? That's natural. That's what's important. This is what the writer of Hebrews is chiding his readers about in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5, 12, through chapter 6, verse 1. Read these here. Hebrews beginning in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He is the writer is getting after these readers for, being, for not being more mature in scripture that are still sitting on the base, basic principles. Essentially, we, even, we see this still today. All I need is Jesus. Jesus is my savior, that, that's all I need. No, you need church you need to understand further doctrines. You need to study the word to further understand and to grow. I was kind of trying to figure out how to put this quote in. I think it will work here. I don't know if you saw it up on the screen, but I put a quote from C.H. Spurgeon on there, Charles Spurgeon on there. It says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Read good books, expand, grow, but base everything here. Now, Hebrews 6.1, my, my freshman year uh, at, at faith, I was in the guy's dorm. I was on the upper level. We refer to it as building 10. So commonly we refer to it as 10 up because it was the upstairs of building 10. Now, my freshman year, our, the RA was trying to give us a, a yearly theme, and he was looking at Hebrews 6.1. Uh, and he put a sign on all of our doors. He put a sign on all of our doors, Be Men, Hebrews 6.1. And I think he put the verse there as well. He told us first at our first you know, dorm meeting that I kind of messed that up. We were 10 up, so it was supposed to be manna Hebrews 6.1. But I put B-men on there. But, the, but he was trying to drive into us, get us to start thinking, look, we need to, you're, we're here. We're here at faith. We're here at Bible school. We're going to move past. We need to move past these elementary principles. We need to get off of the milk and onto the solid food and to grow. So that's what he was driving to us. And then I think that's what, what the writer of Hebrews is driving here. It's like, you need to be growing. I've got to teach you these minor things, these smaller things again, and then give you, get you to pull yourselves up because you're not there yet. You're not maturing. And we need to. Now, staying in this idea of food, Job 23, verse 12, tells us that Job longs for God's word more than his necessary food. God's word was more important to Job than the food he needed to physically survive. It is, scripture is important to our spiritual lives. The Bible is also our guardrail for godly living. Psalm 119, verse 9, asks how a young man can keep his way, his life, pure. Well, the verse answers the question by saying that we should keep our way, our life, according to God's word. And verse 11 of Psalm 119 is similar. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that's the ESV. I have, others says, I have hid my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The importance of God's word in our lives helps us to understand what God wants us to do, how to live a godly life. It is our guardrail to in honoring God and living a godly life. We also need to understand that the Bible by itself is sufficient for us to grow in godliness. In other words, we don't need supplements. Now, that doesn't mean things like curriculums, commentaries, a statement of faith, a doctrinal confession. These are good learning tools. These can be summaries. But scripture should always be the main teaching element. Uh, even even other books where they're not tes- ne- necessarily curriculum or commentaries, but they're Christian living books, if they're not based on uh, a good basis on Scripture, they're not. They're just a supplement that may or may not be helpful. Scripture has to be the main teaching element. Scripture is sufficient to help us to grow in godliness. Curriculum and commentaries help guide us a little bit in understanding, but they are still opinions. Statements of faith, doctrinal confessions are summaries and ways to help us uh, tell to, to establish what we believe. It isn't what we believe, it's just a summary of belief. Scripture is our main teaching element. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 reads, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory by excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." We see in these verses that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But we also see that Scripture gives us true knowledge of God's, of his precious and magnificent promises. We find these things in Scripture. Scripture has everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And it gives us the true knowledge of God and his precious promises. Now, we referenced 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 earlier. These talk about the inspiration of Scripture, but we also see there that Scripture is profitable, and we've run through some of those. But we also see in these verses that Scripture is useful and able to bring us to spiritual maturity and to prepare us to serve, to prepare us for ministry. That's why the, in the following verses of, uh, of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. So all scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable. It will help equip you to, to minister, to serve. Therefore, preach the word. But not just preach the word, we're to preach it to use the word to reprove to rebuke to exhort why because if we continue down in verses 3 and 4 we see that when we see that people will turn from sound doctrine good teaching based on scripture and seek teachers of desires and myths it is scripture and what is called a high view of scripture that keeps us on the right path as we follow Christ with godly lives, with our lives. Some view scripture and say part of it is inspired. Some say that only what Jesus said is important. Or some of these elements that Paul wrote are just his opinion or are specific to cultural items. That doesn't wash. All Scripture is given by inspiration. God used these men to write His Word. How can we determine what is and isn't Scripture, and when when Paul is writing something that is completely of his own own opinion, or when he is writing the Word of God? All of Scripture is inspired, or none of it is inspired. Our last section here is application. It's application. Uh, We're going to be back, we're going to be in the Old Testament here, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. In verse 8. Now since scripture is the inspired word of God, and we know that we need scripture in our lives, let's make it practical. How do we study the Bible to apply it to our lives? Well, in a very basic way, we see three steps here in this verse. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. The, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night and that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The first step in understanding and studying scripture is to read it. The first part of Joshua 1.8 here, God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Well, first, what is this book of the law? Well, at most or even at the very least, this is the five books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. God is telling Joshua that he needs to keep the law, his word, in his own mouth. He needs to be familiar with it. He needs to be familiar, so familiar with it that he needs to read it. He needs to know it. He needs to be reading it all the time. And Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 9, has something similar. We read there and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them as the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, these verses are often used in parent and family dedications showing the importance of the parents teaching their children God's word. But it also shows us that the believers should place themselves under God's word and its influence all the time we should always be under the word of God's influence. It should always play a part in our lives, not as a good luck charm or as a talisman, but as a guide and a way that we can, we can find God's will for us. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 tell us that in some ways it's not easy to understand scripture, especially for an unbeliever. Not that they can't understand the words, but they don't understand the spiritual importance because the the spiritual importance is lost on them because these things are spiritually discerned. The believer, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who who aids us in understanding the importance of Scripture. He gives us instruction and understanding through the Word. He opens our eyes to see this. And I think this is part of what uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16 means when it says that we have the mind of Christ. He gives us instruction. He gives us understanding to know the Word. Now, the, this aid of the Holy Spirit gives believers to properly understand Scripture is known as illumination. The Spirit illuminates, sheds light on what is written in Scripture so that we can understand it. The second step that we see in Joshua 1 8 is to think about Scripture. The second part of of Joshua 1 8 here says, But you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, meditating on Scripture is not about clearing your mind. It's not about emptying your mind and and having no thoughts go through it. It's actually the opposite. (laughs) Meditating on Scripture is not seeking a higher mental or spiritual level, it is thinking about Scripture. The word translated meditate in this verse literally means to moan, growl, mutter. It's used in a number of ways in the Old Testament. But here it is used in the idea of one being in deep thought and muttering to himself under his breath. Muttering to himself under his breath, like... Kind of like, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. And you should, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And muttering to yourself, reminding yourself of it, thinking about it. We keep, we're to keep going over what we read or have studied to better understand it. It makes it personal to us. We are investing in understanding what scripture is saying and how it would apply to our lives. And included in this meditation is memorization. Now, I referenced Psalm 119, verse 11 earlier, and I read it in the ESV. I want to read it to you in the New American Standard. Many of us have this memorized, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you or sin against thee. Well, the New American Standard has it translated this way. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not just about hiding it in our heart, or as the ESV translated, stored, but treasured. We treasure it in our heart. We, we study it so much that we, that we memorize it that it's a treasure in our hearts. And in our minds, why? So we know how to live and not sin against the Lord. Now the last item in, in application is to obey what we've read. The third section of uh, Joshua eight, So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. This is the most difficult and challenging of the steps, but it is the most important. We have to obey to apply to our lives what we have read. Reading the Bible is important. But reading without doing, without application in our lives, makes it a pointless exercise. Sound familiar? Does it sound like James 1, to 25? James 1, 22 and 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What makes application so hard is that it requires change. It demands change. We have to change from our sinful behavior to a lifestyle that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And but we should want to do it. I don't have this, uh, thinking about it, I I should mention this. It shouldn't be a have to. We shouldn't understand this as a have to because then it's a matter of am I doing enough we should read it and understand, oh, God wants me to live this way. I want to please God because God has, because he has saved me. Okay, I want, to, oh, Lord, this is going to be hard. I need your help to change. We should do it because we want to please God. We want to live a godly life, not because we feel that we have to. As we make these changes in our lives, stopping the sin through the power of the Spirit, we progress and grow in spirituality. The process and goal is to be more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The process of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is that we will be more Christ-like. We will, we, we, we will show Christ through our own lives. Whenever we read the Bible, we need to try and find what needs to be changed in our life so that we can be pleasing to the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 18 is a verse that we can pray every time we sit down to study the Bible. It reads, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Charles Spurgeon in his lectures to my students said, texts will often refuse to reveal their treasures till you open them with the key of prayer. But Joshua 1.8 ends with a promise. It doesn't just end with a command. It ends with a promise. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. If we read, meditate, and apply and obey the word of God, we will have spiritual prosperity, true spiritual growth, and we will progress in practical godliness. Our life in Christ can be compared to an aqueduct, the stone waterways that brought water from nearby mountains into parched cities in Italy and Spain. And there are still used, some are still used in some countries today. The objective foundation of our spiritual lives, the word of God is like a huge stone aqueduct itself. The subjective elements, our daily experience of Christ, is like the fresh water flowing through it. Some Christians neglect the word and seek only the subjective experience. But without the solid word of God to contain and channel that experience, the experience itself drains away into error and is lost. Other Christians boast well-engineered aqueducts based on extensive knowledge of the Bible, but they are bone dry. They bring no refreshment. Strong spiritual lives require both a strong knowledge of the word of God and an intimate daily relationship with Christ. As we close, to, to recap what we looked at today, the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is not a creation of human will or imagination. The Bible is sufficient for us to learn about life and eternity. It is, our, it is to be our one rule of faith and practice. And the Bible needs to be applied. We need to be reading, thinking, and obeying the Bible so that we can grow in Christ Likeness. So we return to that big idea. The Bible is God's inspired word. It is sufficient as our guide for our life and we should read and obey it.